I was always connected with the people. Right. And I always wanted to lead, you know, by that example. And, you know, my team always knew when I came out to a branch, you know, I'm not there as an I got you guy or, or any of that type of thing. Reed, you know, I'm there to, to help get obstacles out the way and, um, you know, to, to help lead and coach for us to be successful. And I always want to remain connected to the people. You know, I was the guy that even as the VP could walk in and, you know, uh, get behind the teller line and, and go through the, and talk to someone in the drive through. Right. I never sell myself. I never looked at my title as that made me bigger or better than anybody else. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ron Brooks. Ron is the master of connecting people with resources. With over 18 years as a banking executive, a real estate investor, and a one-time owner of the second Black-owned co-working business on the planet, Ron is a wealth of experience and an accomplished entrepreneur to boot. To top it all off, Ron gives back to the wider community with his weekly podcast called Minding Your Own Business Show, where he interviews industry leaders, investors, CEOs, and business owners all with the goal of sharing best practices and inspiration. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible story with us. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Ron. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reed. Thanks so much for having me, man. That's tremendous. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of this show, man. I've been a fan of it, been able to listen to episodes, and I'm excited to be here myself, man. It's awesome. <laughs> well, mate, thank you very much. And, and I had the pleasure of jumping onto your show during this quarantine time. So I guess before we get into it, how, how's quarantine going for you? How's it treating you? You know, what's interesting, Reed, is I, I've picked up my part-time uh, teacher's aid gig, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got three daughters here, uh, ages 10, nine, and seven. Oh, okay. They're doing uh, full-time virtual school. And so ah, yes. uh, in addition to operating my business here at home, I'm like uh, a lot of uh, people around the world and a lot of Americans. I'm also having to uh, be supportive uh, for uh, kind of K through 12 school. And so mm. that's been uh, interesting to say the least, but I'm extremely fortunate, Reed. I've got no complaints, man. Um, you know, I've been doing well. I don't have children. Sorry to interrupt. You. I don't have children, but I can only imagine having kids going back to school and having to try and somehow juggle business and and the work life balance and having people you know continuing to grow your business, but also have kids not just coming at you. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Help me with this. Help me with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you. Um, what's interesting is if you you want to see some comedy. Uh, read. I can send you some screenshots of the kids' faces on Zooms. Uh, yeah, that'll really, if you're ever feeling down, I can send you those. Those are hilarious, I, to say the least. I think it's the new norm, right? Where you know, we everyone has to be appreciative of how hard parents work on both the mom and the dad, and you know, just juggling everything. You know, becoming yeah. teachers overnight seems nuts. So, yeah, yeah man, I is. definitely, I definitely don't envy you at all. <laughs> Uh, but let's get into the nuts and bolts of this show. And sure. what I want to talk about today is, and first we'll kick it off with, how, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Yeah, you know what? It's interesting. So, you know, Reed, I grew up here. Uh, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, but I grew up here in Memphis, Tennessee, which I, where I'm currently am uh, now. And Reed, what's interesting is, you know, I grew up in, you know, what's argued between Harlem, New York, and here uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the oldest uh, black communities in the country. Uh, that being the Orange Mound area here in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, kind of southeastern part of the city. And so, um, you know, growing up and, and, and facing some of those you know, challenges and having, um, you know, very hardworking, uh, engaged parents, you know, I got started in, in athletics very early. Um, you know, at the age of four or five, I was playing basketball um, in what's called the you know, Amateur Athletic uh, Union or the AAU. And I started making my first uh, money was from selling NFL pencils, actually. So I'm playing basketball. But at that time, you could get all, you know, I think there were, at that time, there were maybe 28 teams in the NFL. And so you could get all 28 of the pencils, you know, in one pack. And kids, you know, my age and even older, you know, were, would buy these. And so I'd sell them for a quarter apiece. So you could get, you know, four for a dollar, of course. And so you could get a whole pack of these NFL pencils for like two dollars and fifty cents or something like that, and then sell each one, you know, for a quarter. And so you know, you make a little money. So you know, for me, you know, having five or ten bucks in my pocket at six or seven, you know, that was big money back then. I mean, you know, I could, I could uh, take care of me and a few friends at the ice cream truck, you know. <laughs> and um, you know, from but from doing that, what I noticed is that you know, obviously, product is. Um, you know, very important having you know something to position and sell and, and providing a value, and so I learned that early on. Um, you know, my dad was a, a civil, and he is a civil engineer, uh, but ah. he took entrepreneurship in school, and so uh, able to to see that. Although he was not a full time entrepreneur himself, um, he always shared read that value of um, understanding what people need and being able to provide it. And then, you know, having some sort of, um, you know, mission around what you do so that you don't get caught up just in the, the, the sole pursuit of, of money and, and financial gain. But, you know, you can do some of that while also providing something for people. So those pencils were great because everybody needed them for class and everybody wanted to have their favorite team. And uh, Nintendo was big back then. So we were all playing the NFL games there and 
uh, that was such a big uh, uh, deal there in my neighborhood. Well, I love that story of selling pencils, being very entrepreneurial at a young age. And uh, actually, your dad and I have something in common. I'm a civil engineer as well. That's what I went to school for. So um, very, very cool. But I I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, you you mentioned challenges and and growing up in in the Harlem-esque, you know, of Tennessee. For someone who hasn't grown up in that, can you maybe paint a little picture of what were the day-to-day struggles in order to get you to where you are today? Because it's such an accomplishment just in itself. Uh, And then we can talk a little bit about how you're giving back to the wider community. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that question, Reed, because um, oftentimes you see what's going on here in, in our country, and a lot of people don't always get the the perspective um, because sometimes, you know, again, it's not always everybody's fault, but we're, you know, who we interact with is who we interact with, and we don't always have a direct interaction sometimes with people from various communities. Um, you know, where I grew up is, and, and it's like a lot of people that, you know, that may be listening, um, you know, their social economic challenges, you know, in that community. This was a community that that once did thrive, Reed, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, and a lot of the men in particular worked in factories and things like that, and they created middle-class jobs. And so from those middle-class jobs, then you're able to support local entrepreneurs and local business. And a lot of people then would, you know, start working a job, Reed, and then, uh, you know, maybe branch off and start their own business. Um, of course, you know, you fast forward and, you know, some things obviously from the, you know, government political standpoint, yeah, impacts, you know, those jobs. And right. so then, um, you know, over times, over the decades, and when I was a little boy was in the 80s, um, this is when, you know, this was really kind of um, coming to a head where these factories would close and, and these men, it was difficult for them to, to um, kind of find new skills or apply their skills in new areas. And so they struggled uh, economically, and that just has a, a do- downward domino effect uh, mm. on the community. And so when I was growing up, um, oftentimes there weren't a lot of men that were, um, you know, doing things, running businesses and, you know, being heads of households and, and, and really driving things. And so, you know, that has an impact. And so for a lot of kids, um, you know, when you come up in those tough social economic um, areas and you don't have the mentorship or anybody to look to, to inspire to, um, you, you can aspire to the wrong element, you know, cause you look for who's successful. Well, you know, who's doing well in these neighborhoods Well, it's the drug dealer. It's the, you know, the pimp and it's, it's those folks, you see them doing well, they're flashy. They, they're making money. The women love them, you know, or at least <laughs> they, you know, from what you see. And so that's then what you can inspire to be. And one of the things that helped me through my career was uh, I went on a field trip to a bank that I actually ended up uh, running uh, later on in, in once it got to my career. But as a boy, I got a chance to see uh, people at a bank that looked like me and mm-hmm. that were successful. They weren't sellouts. They weren't trying to act any different kind of way. They were, you know, from neighborhoods like mine and yeah, able to see them, you'll be successful. So it's that, that, that vision sight read mm-hmm. that I think helped, you know, kids like me uh, be able to then inspire. And I think, you know, a lot of other communities sometimes have um, from an early uh, you know, standpoint in their walk, people have that vision and they can see someone that's being successful. They can see a real estate investor. They can see um, someone start their own business and be successful and, you know, have a family and, and things like that. And if that's what they want to do. And so um, I was fortunate in getting that opportunity, Reed, to see uh, that at a fairly young age and impressionable age of um, people, and not just everybody there that looked like me, but 
you know, kind of this um, melting pot of people working together professionally, no matter what walk of life they came from, for a common good. Um, Same just like in sports. Um, I played with, uh, you know, guys that came from all different walks of life. And uh, uh, many of them were still friends and connected today. And those relationships, you know, help shape, you know, who I am and, and how I view the world and the level of empathy I'm able to have when things um, impact people, even if we may not have come from the same area or uh, grew up in, with the same way, um, mm. whether that's more well-to-do or maybe that's the bottom of the bottom, um, you know, having that diversified interaction uh, has really helped shape, uh, you know, who I am. And so I'm very proud of that and, uh, you know, hope that answers your question. No, it, it does. Uh, look, we can unravel this and it's interesting to have those role models in life and what you mentioned about yeah. someone that looks like you, right? And, and growing yeah. up, I, I'm sure as a black guy growing up, you, it was rare maybe to see someone in a banking world like, you know, we, we, and, and this, this stigma of society that looks at the black community for sporting and music, but in the financial way, and, and that would have been tough for you. So did that help have a massive impact on you looking yeah. for those inspirations growing up and, and not going to the other glitz and glamour that you might have thought was cool back yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, one of the things that you learn you know, in the neighborhood, and, and again, there's another side of it where I saw you know, atrocities that were done sure. that are systemic you know, yep. in neighborhoods, yep. you know, and that's unfortunate. But you know, one of the things that you know, growing up in the neighborhood is when you see those people, you know, a lot of times outside of the neighborhood, Reed, you know, the people that you seek success for are, are athletes and entertainers. Mm-hmm. And so they you aspire to either be, you know, I was playing basketball, played other sports, but you know, you aspire to then be Michael Jordan and you aspire to be Allen Iverson. You aspire to be other guys that you see on TV or you aspire to be the rapper, you know, the mm-hmm. Jay-Z, the the Nas, the um, the Little Wayne and, and those type of folks. And so those become your, your role models uh, sometimes. And then that's what you aspire to do. And you don't see people do things like in banking, like you mentioned, and you know, I was saying earlier. Um, and so that that exposure to be able to see them and, you know, where it can have a cool factor, right? Of mm. course, it's easy to follow along LeBron James, right? You can follow his pathway. Yeah. You can see the money he makes. It's all public. Um, but you don't know that with the guy that's the banker that's making, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year and comes home and, you know, kind of does his thing. There's not a huge sex appeal to that, right? Um, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, you know, his, his salary is not public. There's not a huge salary. You know, because the drug dealer walks by and he's making that per month. Right. And so, but he's always looking over his shoulder, of course. And that's a lifestyle that we know what kind of end that can have. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, having mentors, you know, uh, you know, in playing sports, you know, having, you know, great folks and people around me that kind of, you know, uh, show me a, a different pathway and um, how that pathway can have a cool appeal to it. And I think that's something that kids need today is, um, it, it, the exposure one, but they need to understand that there is a cool factor to um, being able to, you know, start your own business, you know, kind of own your own narrative and, mm-hmm. um, you know, be able to drive, you know, commerce one for yourself. And then, you know, if, if there's any way that you can, you'll be able to then give back. Um, that's just tremendous and a, a trifecta all the way around. Yeah, and you to segue into sort of the next part of the show, which is is ultimately what you do do now is what you is giving back and aspiring other young kids who who look like you and want to aspire to be like you. And let's not 
address the elephant in the room. It's it's because of the systemic racism in this country and around the world. Let's not sure. get it wrong. Let's not. It's in Australia as well. Trust me. And, yeah. and with the recent events, even myself as a white person, I have to check myself a little bit. And so. I'm very fortunate to have you on the show to share your story with us, but also yeah. how you're going out and and helping the wider community, not just the black community, but the wider community to inspire people to for change. And that's the grassroots of what I think, in my opinion, will help the, the systemicness of racism change. And so can you maybe talk to us a little bit about what you are doing today in and around, you know, I know we spoke a little bit in the green room before about, you know, holding banks accountable to the elderly folk, uh, being an inspiration and a mentor to, to younger teens who are coming up from maybe low socioeconomic areas. What else, are, you know, that's just two massive ones in itself. But these things make you tick, right? These things make yeah. you, they're very valuable to you. So, and I can see that through your through just speaking to you and, and being on your show. So do you want to share with the audience how that that has inspired you to be more and do more and, and and to what your dad said before it's all about having that mission rather than just looking at the self-worth and the financial freedom you get for yourself and your family but also giving back to the wider community yeah absolutely no a tremendous read a tremendous question and you know um you know my banking career you know i'll, I'll kind of start there because you know i was you know actually you know 17 18 years in the banking industry i started while i was in college um, you know, part-time teller, um, progressed through. And my last role, I was an executive where uh, I was responsible for 96 employees at, wow. at this particular bank, which was two-thirds of the employee population uh, reported to me uh, in the retail area um, with, uh, you know, 10 branches and, and a 20-seat call center. And so I was responsible for, you know, a good bit. And so um, from that retail area, I was always connected with the people. Right. And I always wanted to lead, you know, by that example. And, you know, my team always knew when I came out to a branch, you know, I'm not there as an I got you guy or, or any of that type of thing. Reed, you know, I'm there to, to help get obstacles out the way and, um, you know, to, to help lead and coach for us to be successful. And I always want to remain connected to the people. You know, I was the guy that even as the VP could walk in and, you know, uh, get behind the teller line and, and go to and talk to someone in the drive through. Right. I never sell myself. I never looked at my title as that made me bigger or better than anybody else. It's kind of like a, you know, a sports team, you know, I have a role on the team and if my role is to defend or to score or, or do whatever, then that's what I do. But it doesn't make me bigger than the team or, or bigger than the next guy who has a different role. Uh, but all of it's important to being successful. And so, um, you know, when, when that ended um, and, you know, I'll share with you that, uh, you know, that did it end on the greatest terms um, because of my, you know, some of it's because of my entrepreneurial uh, spirit and wanting to see things be successful. And sometimes in leadership, uh, as you know, Reed, um, uh, everybody doesn't see things that way or see the world that way. Some people see the world just solely as, um, you know, kind of what's in it for them. And, and people are just kind of a requisition number uh, sometimes. And that can be unfortunate. And so when you have that difference of, view that can have an impact. And so um, when you get to what I do today uh, in, you know, going out and compelling these same banks to, you know, as you have branches in these areas, in these various communities, right? And it doesn't mean that, um, you know, there's a, a negative light shined on a, a well-to-do community, right? Because that's tremendous. And you, obviously you, you should be doing business there. It's prudent. And if you have target audience there, uh, you should do business. Um, what I hold them accountable to, and most do very well with this read, but some need constant coaching and oversight, 
is uh, to have that equity across where they do business. So everywhere they have branches, um, you'll have similar services and similar offerings, right, uh, in those areas. And then the big part of that is the, like you mentioned, you know, the seniors, um, those matriarchs and patriarchs that help build our communities and help get us to where we are today. Um, you know, make sure that those folks are protected and, and community banks are, are prime in a, in a really good place to do that um, because they know these people. Um, and then they're able to, uh, from a financial standpoint, be good um, fiduciary partners and, you know, providing, you know, resources for them, you know, affordable housing, um, you know, providing, you know, safe havens and safe places for them. I mean, even during this COVID where um, seniors are, are heavily impacted, um, apparently by the virus, that to make sure that they're safe and uh, they're able to interact with families and um, they're protected from financial exploitation, which is really big, um, Reed. Um, just last year, according to the uh, CDC, uh, if you go to cdc.gov, you'll find this stat, um, 2.9 billion was lost last year to elder financial exploitation in this country. I mean, you're, so you're talking almost $3 billion. And when that happens, you know, you paint the picture for the impact of that. You know, someone that's worked their whole life building their community, right? Whether they've owned a business or they've worked a job, they've raised family, just to get to their latter years and have that scammed from them in some type of way. And they're not, you know, they're not young like you and I. They're not able to just go back out and, you know, uh, relaunch their business or uh, sell more product or find more talent, right? Um, and so, you know, that has a devastating impact um, you know, on those lives and then on our communities. And so I saw an opportunity to be able to give back in that way um, with my relationships with, you know, those community banks. And, and again, it's, it's a compelling of, you know, don't forget, you know, about these folks over here and let's make sure that they have resources, you know, as well. And the benefit the bank receives um, by doing that, you know, is tremendous. And, like I say, most of them read, you know, they do see the value in that. Um, sometimes it just takes, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. You, you made a great point is, you know, that understanding the empathy and having someone like me that looks like me, but has been in their chair. Um, so there's a credibility, uh, be able to speak from the empathetic standpoint, because a lot of those bankers don't live in those communities and they don't have mm -hmm. families in those communities. And so it's, it's when you don't have that connection, it's harder to, um, to feel that empathy. And that's why the videos with the unfortunate incidents that have taken place in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin and other areas, that's why the camera phone has been so valuable because it allows people to see, you know, say a George Floyd and know that, you know, a George Floyd could be in anybody's family. Mm. And, you know, there's a human element to that. So you don't have to be black. You don't, you know, you, you can see the human element of, you know what, that's just not right. Right. And so the same thing in, in you know, with what I do with uh, banks and can, compelling them to work in those communities is, you know, for all of us to be able to say, you know what, that's not right. You know, even from here, you know, I haven't spent much time in Australia, but if that video popped up in Australia, right, and the person didn't look at me, I should be able to look at that video and say, you know what, that's not right. Right. You know, um, because, you know, there's a human element that comes first. It's so true. The human element. It's not. It's not a political thing. It's, right. It's a human element. A fellow, a fellow brother and sister has been hurt, and that's what we need to all care about. And 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 I think what you're doing on the grassroots there and helping the elderly people in communities, the low socioeconomic communities, is so important because 
you 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 have that empathy with them, right? My my question to you is, how yeah. hard has it been to to persuade banks? You know, these banks that yeah. have their systems in place and uh, maybe even nationwide or statewide, and you know, seem like a very slow moving, set in their ways. You know, probably have a very white board. You know, like yeah. how do you, how do you get them to understand and, and bring that empathy to the fore? Because I feel like that's that's so hard when we're in this world of very polarized political stratosphere that anything you trying to get someone to see the other side that, that may they may not have never ever experienced is yeah. like nearly like shoveling, excuse my language, shit uphill. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, you, you know, rolling a boulder up a hill. It's it just it's must be it must be excruciatingly tough. So what how do you go about handling and showing them that the sort of the benefits that that this bank could potentially benefit from? By offering the same services as as an affluent uh, neighborhood, yeah, absolutely. No, it's tremendous. And what's interesting about that when you ask that question, Reed, is a, a lot of the neighborhoods that I work in, it, it isn't always a situation where um, there it's separated by race. Uh, hmm. In some instances, it, it's more just a social, uh, you know, economics piece of it. So, you know, I work a lot in the midwestern part of the United States. And there are a lot of those counties, Reed, where, um, you know, they're, they're pretty much all, you know, it's pretty homogenous in right. terms of, yep. of race. Um, but what you'll see is you'll have, you know, a, a more well-to-do census track and then a less well-to-do census track. And they all may look alike, <laughs> right? You know, but there's just that difference in the social economics. And so even in those instances, um, you know, to answer your question, I, you know, I sit down, you know, with the bank's leadership. And um, banks are required to fulfill a, a, a regulation that was enacted in 1977 uh, by the Jimmy Carter administration, which is uh, Community Reinvestment Act or CRA. And so um, that prevents them from redlining, which is a tactic that they used to do on a map to determine, OK, we're going to give uh, terms here that are different than over there or we won't lend over here at all. And so it prevented that and made that illegal for them to do that. And so they're required and they're examined for that, um, you know, every you know few years to make sure that they're doing that. And so as a component of that, um, they're already kind of being charged for it. Um, I think, you know, the big thing that they lack that I provide, Reed, is, you know, like I'm sharing with you, it's the connection to the story. Right. Mm. So I'm not coming in as the bully saying you got to go and do this for black people. You know, I, I, that's not really my approach or you've got to go do this for poor people, for seniors. It's to bring it to their awareness. So specifically, mm. it's, you know, recording a story with um, a senior who's been impacted. Right. A family member who may be also be a customer of theirs. So some of their big customers, a, a big, you know, say a big real estate investor whose mom is in a senior facility. Right. Um, he or she would appreciate that bank's support of, hey, I've got, my mom lives in that home and I don't want her to you know, find out her checking account's been emptied or um, you know, have her abused at the home by a caregiver or um, the, the iPad that you know, mom or dad uses to communicate with grandchildren and great-grandchildren and even for me, you know, disappears and is stolen. Um, and so it, it's sharing those stories, again, to drive that empathy um, and then yeah, and connect that to the value and the benefit back to the bank. So mm -hmm. it, it's addressing the what's in it for me, um, which, like you said, I mean, it, that always can end up being the elephant in the room. You know, it's, oh, yeah, that sounds great, Ron. But, you know, again, what's in it for us? Why, why right. should we care or why should we do right. that? Um, 
And so it's, you know, tying that back to the value. And I leverage a lot of my experience, you know, there, Reed, um, as a business owner and as a former banker. And I say, well, here's the benefit. Um, you know, a lot of these homes, you know, those folks, uh, even if they're not high on the economic scale, um, they tend to have nest eggs and they tend to look for banking services. And, um, you know, what better than to have your bank go in and showcase as a good faith that you're supporting this senior, you know, facility and, you know, want to, you know, see crime, you know, reduced or instances of abuse or and then definitely the financial exploitation. The second piece, so that's kind of the the opportunity business development piece of it, Reed. The other piece is the compliance piece and the um, the risk management that comes from it. Because guess who holds the bag when the senior comes to the bank and says, my money's gone, right? Um, they do an affidavit with the bank and the bank's giving them the money back. And then they have to go after the person who did it. Well, the person who did it may be in Nigeria, right? So <laughs> good luck getting them to extradite, you know, a person and, and do all that type of thing. Um, and so oftentimes you end up in a situation where you're, um, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, holding the bag. So it's an economic loss for the bank. And so when you look at, you know, how much loss they take from fraud, um, it behooves them then read to, you know, to really be active. So it just takes someone like me um, who's kind of coming from a slightly different community, um, but knows their language and knows what makes them tick um, and being able to just share with them that empathetic piece of it um, to understand how they can make that investment. And then um, making that then is the investment piece as streamlined as possible. Yeah, and I think it, it boils down to that fair and reasonable, right? What's fair and reasonable in life? What do you expect? Is this is this a fair and reasonable ask that this community is, does not have a certain banking system because it's a lower socioeconomic community, not by any fault of its own? And so, understanding the empathy of it, I think it's super important. I want to pivot a little bit into the the, the affordable sure. ho- housing piece because I know that's another big arrow or tool in your tool belt that you love to, you're a massive proponent of. So do you want to walk yeah. me through what you're doing? There's a banking side of it, but then what are you doing from um, the the urban development side for the low cost yeah. housing to help the low socioeconomic communities be bolstered up with some affordable housing as things you know get more and more expensive and, and, and you know, wages aren't growing, but the cost of living seems to always keep, keep increasing at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. No, tremendous there, Reed. Um, you know, with you know, affordable housing is interesting in that a lot of these communities and you you hit the nail on the head with pricing. And so, you know, from the developer contractor standpoint, you know, they're always balancing the, you know, the cost of of labor, the cost of materials, and and you know that kind of from your business. Um, you know, those costs are always, you know, they rarely go down, but they certainly can go up. They never get so, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's the, the geopolitical piece of it. There's the taxation and, you know, some things like that, um, you know, that make it difficult to build or rebuild in certain areas. You've got gentrification. Uh, oftentimes that can be a detriment to an area. While it can help areas in some instances, oftentimes it ends up in the relocation of the current population. Uh, so then it becomes, you know, criminal, in my opinion. Um, you know, but you know, from the affordable housing standpoint, it's, it's also, you know, compelling these lenders and banks to um, and invest in these areas um, in, you know, kind of rebuilding and restructuring housing. And so there's you know number of community based groups that I connect with. Um, and then something that I do, um, you know, from the real estate standpoint is 
um, you know, uh, kind of teach people, uh, you know, one, um, how to prepare to, to be an owner, right? Um, you know, that's so important because there's a certain mindset uh, that you have to have um, to, you know, get people to understand that even in your community, um, you have the option to, to purchase your housing. And it, it's not as limited as, well, you've got to have this great credit and you've got to have all this cash sitting around. And a lot of people, that's what they believe. They believe mm-hmm. So they have more of a defeatist attitude towards it because they say, well, Ron, I don't have $50,000 sitting around and I don't have, you know, uh, an 820 credit score. And so I'm sharing with them that you don't have to <laughs> in none of those. Um, there's a ways that you can own either through terms. Um, there's ways you can get involved in wholesaling um, and things like that to, to help people and, and then you know, help get to a point of, of ownership, you know, for yourself. And so, you know, again, going into these neighborhoods, connecting with the banks and then connecting with the people. So specifically, you know, working with a bank and, and their retail marketing team, you know, making phone calls and even visiting um, those people in the neighborhood. And a lot of times you find that you build the credibility just by spending time. Mm. Um, you go there, you spend time, you go to the community center, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you might play a little basketball with some of the kids and then you sit down and have a conversation. Right. Um, and then some of those community leaders, you sit down and you say, you know, how can we, um, you know, get you connected to the resources? And um, I, I found to read that oftentimes um, people who have resource, they want to do things. There's just no one there to con- connect the dots. Right. Um, you know, so they're, they often shy away because they get beat up a lot. They get pounded. You should be doing this. You're not doing that. You know, and, and it's, you know, people are always quick to, you know, beat you up or join the Twitter mob and, you know, try to counsel everybody and that sort of thing. And so um, going to them uh, in a, from a standpoint of, you know, let's connect, right? Let, let's network and give you a chance to see it. And as you see it and experience it, you know, your mind will connect to, you know, how you can help and, and that sort of thing. So it's not running to people with your hands out and saying, oh, give me, give me, give me. So, you know, getting people to understand that, you know, these folks are not looking handouts, um, kind of contrary to the you know, popular belief. Sometimes they don't want handout. Uh, they just want to be treated fairly. You know, like you said earlier, um, you know, fair and equitable and you'll know, give them a chance. Right. And and giving them a chance, they may not have the, the most polished record um, or the most polished speech, um, but, the, you know, most of them will work hard and um, they want to be able to do for themselves. Right. And right. so it's uh, once you connect them, uh, you know, connect the parties together and let them experience each other, because that's been a big thing you know, for for myself, Reed, is you know, because I've had this diverse um, exposure and upbringing. Uh, and understanding how people on different sides of the tracks think. And there's a lot of misconceptions on either side, right? If I, if I go back to my old neighborhood, they think everybody that's got money cheated somebody and, you know, was able to get over or had a silver spoon in their mouth, you know, and all this type of thing. And then when I go to the, the other side of the tracks, they think that everybody over here is lazy and, you know, all they want to do is live off the government and, you know, and, and, what happens is when they get together, they find out again, going back to what we talked about earlier, there's a human element involved. And there's three things that we all want, no matter what we look like in the mirror. You know, we all want to do a little better for ourselves, a little better for our families and a little better for our communities. So all of us have that common goal. Now, how we get there is 
You know, we all have our different ways to Sunday on how we get there, but we all generally deep down, that's what we want. Um, and then we want to be able to obviously enjoy life and, and that sort of thing um, and, and give back. And so uh, you know, that's been the, you know, the big ways. And it, it's, it's not easy, mm. um, right? It's not easy to get people to um, see outside their bubble. Right. Yes. And so yes. what you have to do is bring it close to them. And, and think of those situations like we talked about, you know, George Floyd, that could be any in anybody's family. Anybody mm. could have a brother or a cousin or a dad or uh, an uncle, um, a really good friend um, that that can happen to. Um, and, and there's been, you know, those were high profile. But, you know, Reed, there's been uh, tons of, oh. of things that have, have taken place um, all around. And so it's it's connecting people to that. Um, so they can see the empathy and, and see that human side. Wow. Well, I, I, a lot there to unpack, and, and I do want to be respectful of your, of your time, but one of the, one of the things that yeah. came up to me was and the analogy of like a cooking pot, like a recipe, you know, and, and part yeah. of the recipe is adding some flour and adding an egg and adding different elements, and these are all, whether that be through banks, might be the egg. But but also what I heard you there is is uh, financial education um, on the at the grassroots level and showing people that there's they've got this preconceived notion of of home ownership and there's many ways that you can get to that goal without thinking you need to have a eighty you know eight hundred and twenty score and fifty thousand dollars sitting around. How yeah. important is or maybe not how important. What elements are involved in that recipe? Because obviously, that you yeah. need to have buying from the bank. You need to have the you need mm-hmm. to have the, the the local community and and the urban development. You know, the city involved with um, wanting to to improve neighbourhoods um, that 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 are in the low socioeconomic and be, maybe have been neglected in the past, and trying to change that viewpoint of the the lower side of the tracks of X Y Z, which is really tough in itself with deep seated yeah. both racial but also upbringing type of of um, mindset. But then there's also the, the financial education piece and, and, and yeah. tying those all together, that recipe together in order to bake the cake is really where you come in, right? Like you're, that, yeah. you're, you're sort of the glue to, to keep it all together. So I guess, is there any one element that's more important than the other or all needs to come together on the table to make sure that we are making this cake correctly and, and, and everyone's going to benefit from it? Yeah, you know, that's a beautiful uh, you know, analogy that you give, Reed. And yet I would answer that to say that, you know, just like a cake, you know, every ingredient is important, right? Mm. Because when you have your cake as a whole, notice you don't see all the ingredients once you no. have the whole cake because right. you see the outside of it. Um, but anybody that's baked anything knows that there was butter that went into that. There were eggs, there was flour, there was, you know, there's icing across the top. And and what makes that analogy really beautiful is the diversity of all of that. Mm. Think about it. Every ingredient in that cake came from somewhere else for the most part. It was produced somewhere. The eggs might have came from Kansas. You know, the, the sugar and the icing might have came from Florida, you know, it, but it all comes together for this one cake that's on your table. Right. right? And so every component of that then becomes important because also someone who eats cake a lot, you know, because you can't see my stomach. You know, those that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> someone who loves cake. Sweet tooth, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. That you know that if, if some of those ingredients are missing, you know, that impacts yep. the either the, the integrity of the cake, its ability to form. Um, it impacts the taste, the smell, you know, if you ever had a cake, you know, without sugar, you know, you know, that <laughs> that can be impacted. Right. Right. Um, you know, without using eggs and flour, it's not going to um, bake up and fluff up without using the yeast and all the di- everything that goes into it. And so, you know, I equate that analogy um, to, you know, within the community is that, 
you know, there's no kind of one ingredient. It, it, it's incumbent upon us all um, to be able to come together and work. And so it requires the financial education. It requires, you know, kind of things at the, the government level to set um, kind of the playing field. Um, all of us as, as citizens within a community to, um, to help connect and, and support. And so, you know, at the very beginning of that is, um, is mindset. And mindset gets shaped by, you know, that exposure like we talked about earlier. Um, when you can see it and you can see it work, um, that takes away that pessimism and that cynicism sometimes that people have in communities um, because they've been, you know, sometimes led astray and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, they've been scammed. And so they have that pessimism and cynicism. And so they haven't seen it work. And so then they don't trust it. And so uh, what you have to do is you have to build that trust up by letting them see that. So at the very beginning, they need to see people own their home. Right. And so what you have to do is, is uh, expose them to that, that you can do that. You know, there, you don't like you say, have to have all those things in place. Um, let's help you get those things in place. Um, but in the in the meantime, let's challenge the critical thinking and the mindset. And then when you go to the banks and you say, yes, we know you have to have risk management. We know you're not in the business of just giving out money to every single person, right? Um, they're required by law to be prudent with, uh, with the money that they've been entrusted as a steward to, to manage. And so we get that. Um, they're also in the risk business. And sometimes you have to remind some banks that they're in the risk business. That's what banking is. You're in the risk business. You put money in the air. Um, you're taking a credit risk and you're looking to get paid back with interest on that risk. And every single person that walks through the door is some level of credit risk, right? Because we're human beings, right? We're the biggest wild cards in the world. <laughs> and so, because um, a human being can change, you know, it's not like a rock, right? A rock's a rock, right? You know, if you sit it down, it won't move till you move it. Human beings are completely different, right? You know, we, we have a thought at one o'clock and a different thought at one <laughs> And so it's, it's bringing all those things together. And that's why I love that analogy that you gave, Reed, because, you know, all those ingredients, like I spoke about, the, the, the education, the health, that's another piece of it um, that's a huge impact. Um, you know, the ability to feel good about yourselves. I mean, you know this, you know, when you have a, a business that's doing what you feel good about yourself, if you've got a job, you know, that you love and you know, is doing well and, you know, that sort of thing, you feel good about yourself. You have an identity. And uh, sometimes in these communities, people don't have that identity. And so they go create it, right? And sometimes they create it um, unscrupulously. And then that creates a, a lot of major issues that uh, oftentimes we see. Mm. And so, you know, you know, having that cake and the ingredients come together. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing around the country is this awakening to, you know, we saw it in 0809 and we talked about my podcast with you was, you know, in 0809, this awakening of entrepreneurship that, all right, boys and girls, we, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket and, and that sort of thing. And you kind of need to diversify. And, you know, why are we okay having multiple debts, but not multiple incomes, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so that began challenging the thinking in this country. And now I think what's happening, Reed, is um, that critical thinking is getting challenged from a, um, you know, from a, a social justice standpoint. And, you know, the benefit of, of equity. And I think companies that embrace that and banks that embrace that are going to do very well in this next evolution 
of what life is once this you know pandemic subsides. I think the people that are willing to truly embrace that and see that human element and, and see that cake and know that um, you don't bake a cake by just eggs, right? Or just sugar, right? Won't make a cake. And so um, I think as, as you know, leaders see that and they transition and they get more comfortable with it and more exposed to it um, and have it in their circle. You know, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're so segmented in this society, you know, you know, I've got my friends, you've got your friends, you know, and these are the only people I ever interact with. Um, and so, you know, once you get a chance to kind of step outside of that and see these people and you're like, you know what, it's not so bad or it's not like what I read or what someone told me, right? right? Or my preconceived notion about it. And again, that's on either side, right? Because both sides um, of the tracks have that. Right. And it can impede that ability to come together for those ingredients to bake uh, uh, a good and tasty cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I, I want to, as I said, I want to be respectfully time, but one question yeah. I have for you right at the end here is we've got a lot of investors who listen to this show, a lot of people who are very into, let's just say financial freedom for themselves right now. But what can we all do as real estate investors and business investors to make an impact on the greater community? What, what's one thing yeah. we, you know, what's a piece of advice you can give to all of us? Yeah, I think the big thing is um, to be able to have empathy through engagement, through listening. Um, you know, many of that are in, in real estate and you become a landlord and, and that can be a tremendous thing. You know, sometimes being a landlord can have a negative connotation. Um, yeah, but it's tremendous around this country. It's one of the things that makes you know, this country great is the ability to, to own real estate, um, be a landlord and, and provide housing, you know, for someone else. But I think the one thing uh, that real estate investors can do is is have that empathy and and be willing to listen and and I love what you said you know in, in interview on my podcast about you know how you work with tenants and and even as as the pandemic was coming along and anticipating um, where there might be gaps or or concern and then the relationship that you have with the tenant with you know the ability to have um, that two way communication. Uh, I, I think it's tremendous. So I think that, you know, that's the number one thing that I think real estate investors, particularly those that are, you know, you're, you're buying and you're holding and you're, um, you, you know, you have tenants and that sort of thing um, is, is that, you know, kind of listening and that connection. And then, you know, kind of along that, the other side of it is if you're kind of, you're more of a buy and flip, uh, you know, type buyer girl, um, you know, look at who you're selling to and, and being mindful that, um, you know, going into a neighborhood and adding Starbucks and, you know, adding, you know, uh, you know, these corporations and things like that can look good. They can have nice, they can convert real estate into beautiful structures and, and, and things like that. But um, oftentimes what can happen is you can contribute to the gentrification to where the current resident population can no longer afford to live there. And they, they end up forced to move or, um, you know, uh, getting pushed out or that sort of thing. And so, you know, I'd hope that real estate investors would be mindful of that. And that goes back to that empathy piece of, um, you know, going in when you go into neighborhoods and you look at the spreads and, and things like that, that's all tremendous. Um, but don't forget about the people that are there. And is it such that, you know, find creative ways to be able to um, restructure and improve a community, um, but not move the, the current residents who uh, love that community and have supported that community um, you know, don't price them out or, or, or kind of, you know, 
you know, create a situation where economically they they can't remain in their home. Mm-hmm. And so I, I challenge you know, all of us, you know, in, in that capacity that's in real estate. Um, if we can do that, those one, you know, kind of one thing combined, you know, Reed, I think that, you know, it'll be again, it creates this trifecta of wins, right? Real estate investors win, um, the community wins, and then, you know, overarching, you know, our, our country wins. Um, when we're able to do that. And I think as, you know, like we talked about before on either side, I think when real estate investors see that and see that as being something that's beneficial, um, certainly economically, but just overall to their business and you can lay your head on your pillow and feel good about what you're doing. um, I think that's going to speak volumes for us. Yeah, 100%, mate. I think at the end of the day, we're all in the business. We're in the people business, right? Whether we're real estate investors, we're providing housing, whatever spectrum of the housing sector you're on, we're providing yeah. shelter, right? And one thing the pandemic has at least taught me is that without my tenants, I don't have a business, right? And so right. making sure that we are not the big bad landlord, we're not that sort of stuff, we're there to support them and, and, sh- and see them and hear them in the fact that they might've lost their job without, because, but it's not, no fault of their own, right? And we yeah. wanna work with them. But I, I also understanding how the investment decisions you make today will impact a community in years to come. And so being empathetic towards that, and I think that's what it's been the real crux of this show has been the showing empathy towards one another, regardless of what side of the tracks you're on, because we are all humans at the end of the day. And it's not a, not a political sport. It's it's we're, we're just trying to try and do what's fair and reasonable for everyone involved, um, not yep, just for your no own doubt. back pocket. So yeah, love it. All right, mate, look, we're going to get into the final lightning round. It's called the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yep, let's do it. Mate, what's the number one habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Um, you know, the, the top thing for me, Reed, is um, to you know, write down. You know, I, I, with all the technology that we have today, I, I try to make sure that I, I, I write things down. I, I, every morning, uh, I write down just real quick. And it sounds kind of cheesy, that sort of thing. But I, I write down just a, you know, a couple things real quick that I'm, I'm really um, you know, either proud of or that I'm grateful for, right? And then what do I need to accomplish at the end of the day, right? So, you know, whether it's recording this podcast with you, whether it's, you know, recording on my own podcast, whether it's having a conversation with a bank, you know, what do I do that moves the needle? Can I talk to one person, you know, um, you know, in the community or, or, you know, you know, one banker and, you know, maybe share with them a video of, of, you know, here's what's going on right here in your backyard that you may not see, right? Um, and so, you know, and then you think of that personally, you know, with my girls and, you know, with my wife and, and with family, you know, you know, what do I need to accomplish? What do I need to be available for? You know, that sort of thing. So I like to write it down because it helps commit that commitment piece of it. You know, I find when I just I'm, I'm typing stuff, I'm just copying and pasting stuff. It doesn't have the same effect on me. Mm. Uh, I can still get it done, but there's nothing like, you know, just, you know, taking a pencil and, or a pen and just writing it down and putting a couple of notes beside it, you, yep. know, you know, what am I doing and what's the impact, right? And, and who's benefited from it besides just myself. A lot. And you're so right. I, I, right now I'm writing down for the people who can't see it because it's obviously audio, yeah. but if you get jump on the YouTube channel, you'll see it. I'm old school as well. I, I have uh, a number of these in a box and I, I write yeah. my, my to-do list down every day. And to your point, the, the gratitude list, but there's also an element of that, that, physical writing on the paper that sort of is then embedded in your brain subconsciously that you're going to go off and do that, whatever that task may be, whatever whatever you're grateful for that day. And over time, as you do it again and again, at least in my experience, 
it becomes second nature, right? It yeah. becomes ingrained in you. And then the other thing I love about writing down is particularly on to-do lists, get to cross it out, right? And that, that act of crossing it out is like, it's a little victory. Yeah. I, I did yeah. it. <laughs> so. And you know something else real quick that, to add to that read is something that I've done before in the past and I probably should do more of it now is I used to, I would, yeah, and again, this sounds cheesy, but I would write myself a quick note and mail it to myself. Hmm. Wow. And okay. So what would happen is, you know, say like on a Monday, Yep. If, if there's something I need to do, I'd write great, you know, just great job, Ron. You know, you're able to get that done, you know, woohoo or something like that or something yep. funny, you know, funny quote or something I saw. And then, you know, again, I stick a stamp on it. Uh, you know, if I happen to be out, I drop it in one of those, you know, USPS, you know, mailbox slot things or yep. whatever. And I address it to myself. Right. And so then, you know, by Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, it's coming in the mail. And so now I get that and it's like, OK, it's from me. Okay. And, it, and it's a big thing about, you know, like we teach in the community, you know, it's, it's got to start with you, right? You, you've got you've to want it for yourself and you've got to be able to encourage yourself. Um, and that's one thing that, that helps me is, is just that. And we don't get a ton of mail like that anymore, right? right Everything right. Is, it, like we talked about is electronic. So just getting that note in the mail and it's coming from me and it's just an encouragement. So that Wednesday, I may be struggling with something or, you know, maybe, um, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling as upbeat or something like that. And now I get this from myself um, that's saying, hey, keep going, keep pressing, man. You know, I love it. You're on the right track. So it's it's kind of you talking to you. <laughs> you <know>? but, <laughs> um, so it seems kind of weird. Someone listening to this may be like, God, that's weird. But um, <laughs> <laughs> who's that creepy guy mailing me stuff? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is wrong guy. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, man, it, it definitely helps. That's awesome. No, I think that's a great little piece of advice. I've never even thought about that, but it's uh, yes, the mail is uh, always something you know. You got to address something. You got to do something with mail, and it sort of can be a little bit overwhelming. But I definitely love that. Uh, question yeah. number two: Who is the most influential person in your career? Uh, you know, God, that's a, that's a tremendous question. I've, I've had so many. Um, I'll tell you, not even from banking. Um, I had a high school basketball coach read, and I'll make this as brief as possible. He, um, when I came in as a freshman, I was, you know, a little bitty kid. I was very, I was fast. Okay. I I could move around. I could run fast. You know, I had, you know, athletic ability. Something he told me early on that really stuck with me. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about when he said this, It, it sounded dumb to me, but he said, you know, Ron, you got to learn to be quick and not just fast. Mm. Like, what the hell's the difference? <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, you fast forward through just my basketball career. I learned that, you know, what, what I was bad about doing was I could take the ball and run, but I get in trouble. Right. Mm. You know, if I get there and the other guys seven feet tall. <laughs> right. And so I, I go flying down the court, but I turn the ball over. I throw it away or I go and miss a shot because I'm trying to shoot it over some big tall guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus what I learned was to be able to come down and, and allow my teammates to fill in and be able to survey and, and assess what's going on. Where where is everybody? Do I have, um, you know, uh, one of my teammates who's got a good shot? Is one of my teammates in a better position? And then if not, be able to run our offense. And so I took that from sports, from basketball and applied it to in business. Right. Instead of just being fast. Right. So fast means that, you know, from my standpoint is, you know, I can jump on a plane or in the car and run to a bank unannounced and, hey, I want to talk to your CEO about investing in this. Community, right. That would be fast. Right. And someone may meet with me. Right. I say, all right, come on. But 
um, being quick is being able to survey. It's being able to, um, like you do with in real estate, to be able to assess you know a property and assess um, its status and assess you know where the opportunities are around it, um, and then be able to strike quick, right? So quick means I can come down and I'm under control, right? And if I see an opening to the basket, I go, right? If not, I pull it back, right? Mm-hmm. And something else. And so the same thing in business, I encourage listeners is, you know, you'll see your opportunity sometimes to strike, just go, right? It, the, the lane's open, wide open for you to go and, and get a shot at the basket. If not, take a step back because you have teammates, you know, other people that you're connected with, you know, that are trailing or coming in that may have a good shot or may have an opening. And so uh, that was a big piece of advice that I learned early on that helped me, right? So I didn't go chasing every opportunity just because, again, it's the shiny object, right? Right. right. That shiny object syndrome of chasing every idea, every business, um, <laughs> you know, kind of running around um, without any kind of real focus. Love it. I think that's a very, very valuable piece of advice, you know, being quick, not fast, and assessing and surveying the issues as they come up rather than just reacting all the time, which we sometimes as humans can tend to do. Uh, Love it. Uh, Question number three is in your business, what's the most influential tool? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool, like a a journal or a phone or or, or a piece of software, like a digital tool. So what's the most influential tool you use in your business on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, you know what, right now it's the, the podcast, to be honest with you. Um, but not, you know, and I will, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you know, when I got into the podcast, um, I wasn't smart enough to make the, the dot connection, uh, read of, um, how my voice would be amplified to reach people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been in banking for, like say my time in banking, the, all those years, but I'm finding now that those bankers are knowing me from my podcast, right? right? That I've been doing, you know, for a much shorter period of time. Um, and, and certainly, you know, <laughs> I always thought at least for them may not have the same sex appeal as Ron, the former VP of retail, right. Versus right. Ron, the podcaster, but you know, I'll go to a bank conference. Um, and, and this is, you know, a complete true story. I went to one in Michigan and the guy recognized me for my podcast graphic. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, are you this guy? And he had it on the phone. He was listening to an episode. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, this guy's CFO of the bank. You know, this guy's That's making awesome. you know, $400,000 a year, right? <laughs> Running this big bank. And he's walking through the conference. He's got headphones on and he stops me. He's like, Man, this looks a lot like you. Is this you? It's like, yeah, that's me, man. He's like, oh, man, that's awesome, man. I listen to it. You know, did you give so, it all girl? Yeah, that's tremendous. But what it did was it opened up a lane for us to have a warm conversation about this bank and what they're doing, you know, like saying the community read. And so um, that's it's become a powerful tool over time. But, it, it, you know, not, you know, like you mentioned, there's other tools that I use Salesforce and like, say, my journal and calendar and that type of thing. Those are all obviously influential in their own rights. But um, the, the podcast has allowed me to also um it kind of serve as a you know, digital resume, sort of speaks. So yep. they get to know me um, prior to even meeting me um, by right. listening to episodes and hearing conversations I have with people. And so it's that's tremendous. And building that building that credibility instantly, which is really really yeah. good. Yeah. So absolutely love it, love it. Uh, question number four is: In one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? I'd have to think about that. Not that I don't have any failures, you know. As far as my biggest one. Um, <laughs> You know, almost, I, I, almost influential. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it too. Um, when I became the executive, um, it was at you know my last place. Um, it was not um, you know, being too ambitious about my career progression. Um, and so that, that's how I'd say that in one sense. I was, I was really aggressive towards my career ambition. And that cost me, um, I think, down the line because I lost that focus. Mm. Um, and that focus started to become singular. So that, this is to you learn yeah. not to be hyper-focused on one thing and, and, and one pillar in your life and you let other pillars in your life fall away. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you well, I, yeah. I, um, you know, Reed, I, I was 35 at, you know, at that time. And um, I had been on this career progression and uh, I felt that I was going to be, you know, eventually on a, that career path to that next step. You know, you got to keep in mind that at that institution, I was the second black executive ever in their right. 60. Well, now I guess about 65 year history. Um, and so I was excited about that and and started to, you know, have my, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say delusions of grandeur, but um, <laughs> my, my, my head got into the clouds about, um, you know, how I could progress to that next step. And the yep. next step would have been, yo, right. Mm. Uh, and, but by doing that and losing sight of the, the moments, the, the, from moment to moment, um, I, I think that was a, a, a huge failure, but that I learned from and that I carry now into to what I do. That's awesome. Beautiful. Lovely. Uh, last question, mate, for the show, and if you can talk a little bit about your podcast, is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah. So, uh, no, great. They can um, connect with me on social media. Um, I'm uh, at uh, champ, Ron, or actually at champ underscore Ron underscore. So at champ underscore Ron underscore. That's on most of the social media. You can connect with me there. Uh, I'd love for you to email me, Ron at the com. I'd love to connect there. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Minding Your Business podcast, um, where we um, kind of blend that fusion of uh, business and lifestyle uh, into one. Uh, you can always check me out there wherever you find your podcast. And so i uh, love to be able to connect with you there and, and continue dialogue. Awesome, mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away for today. Is is I firstly want to thank you for being so vulnerable uh, around some topics that you know need to be talked about uh, right now yeah. and and need to be aired and and with your experience and in, in the world of trying to be more empathetic and trying to be that glue in the cake to bring the pieces together. Uh, is really yeah. influential in because of your upbringing and probably some of the challenges that we spoke about earlier through that upbringing that you see folks in low socioeconomic areas struggle with. But yeah. knowing that there's solutions to those to all those problems, right? And as long as people are willing to come to the table and have a little bit of empathy and doing what we talked talk about, was, which is fair and reasonable. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from today's show. Did, did I leave anything out? Yeah, no, you hit the uh, nail on the head. I think that's uh, uh, tremendous. And yeah, again, Reed, I, I appreciate this opportunity. It's uh, it, it's excellent to be able to, to speak with you on this uh, tremendous platform that I've been following. And uh, uh, th this is just awesome. I love it. No, mate, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Yep, sounds good, Reed. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, there you have another cracking episode, Jam Pack, with some incredible advice from Ron. And uh, he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to everything related to trying to build that empathy from the lower side of the tracks and, 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 and trying to bring people together to the table and to try and propel the community forward. And I think that is such an influential 
thing that we need today in today's society. And as all real estate investors, we need to understand and wake up a little bit about what we're doing and how we are impacting the community, how we can all all be better. Um, Because it is our responsibility as investors to do what's right and do what's fair and reasonable, which is what this real theme of the show has been today. Well, I want to thank you all for jumping on this show today, taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.